You're listening to an Outache podcast. When a broad and deep undulation of the ocean caused by a distant gale or seismic disturbance occurs, it's called a groundswell. When a rapid spontaneous growth in support of political opinion occurs, it's called a groundswell. So what happened when a group of Auckland artists started making highly experimental art in the 70s? Groundswell. Avant-garde Auckland, 71 to 79. I'm here with Natasha Conlon, curator in contemporary art at the Auckland Art Gallery, to find out more about what lies behind the change. The 1970s saw the development of a highly experimental art making in Auckland. Over this decade, the city's leading art institutions supported a cluster of energetic artists as they brought about change. Audiences experienced what are known as happenings, kinds of performances in which sculpture, as it had traditionally been understood, was transformed. Natasha, Jim Allen spearheaded much of this change. How did he crack the traditional mindset of the gallery to get their endorsement? Um, in 1974, there was an exhibition at the Auckland Art Gallery called Four Men in a Boat. And it was a time when, not unlike the time we're in today, there was an interim director. The previous director, Richard Tallahirsch, had had an accident and he was in hospital. And the forthcoming director, Ernie Smith, was yet to uh, come into the office. And prior to all of this, Jim Allen, who was Associate Professor at the Elam School of Fine Arts and the Sculpture Department, had proposed an exhibition timed for the art festival for um, a period of four days. And in it, himself, uh, visiting lecturer Kieran Lyons, Phil Dadson and Bruce Barber, so a mixture of lecturers and students, would do something very unusual, which was a series of installations and temporary works, performances, events, activations, as they sometimes called them, for seven days across the uh, period of the festival. And this show, in actual fact, became the first exhibition of performance art to be held in a public art gallery in New Zealand. And it was the result of widespread changes occurring up at the art school and different ways that artists wanted to work in public spaces. Heartache. The exhibition centres around the influential role of leading artist and teacher Jim Allen and the fertile relationship he helped build between the Elam School of Fine Arts and Auckland Art Gallery. What is the gallery's relationship like with art schools these days? Well, the gallery is surrounded by art schools today. We have AUT, as you know, on Wellesley Street, and up at the end of the top of Wellesley and Simons, we have the University of Auckland. But it's a very different climate for students, um, as you know, today. Uh, students pay for their education, so by necessity, their study is very outcome-orientated. There's almost no way of comparing the time we're in today and the time as it was in the early 70s when these changes occurred, when students might not even have, if you like, uh, a fixed form of study. They transitioned 
between painting, sculpture and, and so forth. And it was also the beginnings of a very much an intermediate style of, of practice. Um, also, I just think generally socially, the mood was towards experimentation, towards a certain kind of social liberty. Whereas, you know, I'm no social anthropologist, but it's quite clear to me that um, even in my time working up at the university, that students really want to know, you know, as I said just now, the outcome of what they're doing. And so even when they're coming to an exhibition, I think there's a sense of rather than just browsing or looking, all of us are busy, all of us have to earn our way, even students, and we're time poor. We don't have lavish afternoons anymore yeah. to, to, to think, and that's a loss for all of us. Ah, dang. Putting together a show, must this one particularly, must have been quite fun. The layout is beautiful. Um, all of the black and white photography um, documentation stills are... I just really love documentation photography of performance art because you get very interesting shapes and big dashes of dark and light and those old TV shapes and all the analogue equipment is so beautiful and all printed traditionally as well. Um, what work resonates with you the most? <laughs> Very hard question to ask a curator of a group, I know. Of a group show. <laughs> um, each of the works resonates for different reasons, I have to say. So it's not that one resonates more than another, but if I'm thinking, for example, about one idea, um, for example, humour in New Zealand art, which I think is something we don't think enough about or talk enough about, you know, New Zealanders can be funny. We don't have a reputation for um, being good satirists even necessarily. But um, there's works in there that clearly show uh, really strong degrees of visual wit. And I think the Nick Spill work and um, the Malcolm Ross works are very witty. His uh, video work, Getting Plastered, uh, yeah. Nick Spill combines a social political statement about the discrepancies of the relationship between the rich and the poor. And alongside it, he shows a video work of himself um, putting plasters all over his body <coughs> and handcuffs, and he gets spray-painted, and then he takes all the plasters off. Obviously, it's a word game with the other uh, more common cultural uh, understanding of getting plastered, i.e. getting rip-roaringly drunk. <laughs> and he is doing this very simple action, which is actually one of the first versions of a kind of endurance performance work, um, much more familiar to students of art history in the west coast of, of America, but very contemporaneous at the same time. But it's also funny. And uh, he has another work, a photographic work, uh, if, it, if art is serious, it's good. If it's not, if it's funny, it's it's sort of not basically good. Um, witty, not afraid to attack even the culture of art making. Malcolm Ross's work, uh, there's a series of um, untitled coat hooks, which he's called Untitled Maltreated Coat Hooks. That's actually a reproduction of his original work from 1971. And very wittily, he takes Duchamp's idea of the found object, in this case, an ordinary, very ordinary bronze um, 
coat hook and uh, it's exhibited upside down so you can't hang a coat on it and also it gets attributed uh, some human qualities in this case a kind of phallic sensibility Malcolm was well known um, even though homosexuality was illegal then to be in a gay relationship and I think the work is interesting in the different ways it makes jest at us our bodies and also obviously has a less masculine association with sculptural form. Heartache. Politics is very much a part of contemporary art at the moment. What do you see the current movements of art as? One of the other interesting parallels between this show and the moment we're in today is the concept of earth that comes up again and again in this exhibition not only quite deliberately in my choice of word for the title ground swell and this conscious idea of the ground and also the movement being generated literally from the earth but also in the titles of key works in the show like Philip Dadson's Earthworks, like uh, Kimberly Gray's Time Wedge which is a beautiful sculptural concept which is designed um, to enable the audience to feel the earth moving and also in Roger Peters' work, Suspended Wires, which came from his solo show, Songs for the Earth, Songs of the Earth. Um, I see the parallels, although I see them differently, because the artists at the time were very interested in concepts of the environment and that was a twofold idea. It was both the literal environment, the earth that you're standing on and the concepts of connectedness, but also care for the earth and your literal, physical, bodily relationship with the ground or the earth or not actually stereotypically nature, in quote marks, but the thing that we share, right? And I think, you know, we've had a phase of preoccupation with post-internet art but also at the same time, perhaps especially in New Zealand, we see a bunch of artists and a bunch of people internationally who are very preoccupied with how art might express an action or, a, again, a real relationship to these huge issues in and around the environment and climate change. And it's not that you have a whole bunch of artists out there making works quote-unquote, about climate change, but really in trying to think through, well, what is my relationship, again, with this problem of our shared resources? Um, spoken a little bit differently in these pre-internet times, um, it wasn't so much shared resources, but uh, literally these concepts of sharing, of collaboration, of a non-individualistic idea of ownership, which I think in time our artists today are also thinking through as well. Heartache. Globally, many facets of the art industry are changing from uh, adapting to modern the modern way of engagement, uh, not so much <coughs> what you just spoke of, but just in, in general tactical terms, from artists through to dealers and institutions. In a wider art historical context, do you think we're experiencing another groundswell in the arts <laughs> or is just is is are we just going for a res through reskin yeah well, clearly the visual arts is taking a massive hit right now 
And I hope from this um, obvious, overt, low point, change will occur. People are at a point where they are going to fundamentally have to redress what the importance slash relevance of art is, not only in their individualistic ways that they might like drawing or painting, but actually when it comes to the public good and the public dollar, what kinds of real ways are we going to set aside funds to enable both us and our futures to enjoy uh, this aspect of our creative lives. We're seeing not only the loss of our um, libraries and support structures, we're seeing an attrition in terms of the art and visual art departments and across the country. Internationally as well. And yes, but perhaps more so here. We're seeing the closure of the one of um, our strongest art history departments in Otago, shrinking at Victoria, shrinking in Auckland. Um, art schools also being asked to become outcome orientated in terms of career prospects. Um, so the very concept of liberty is actually at stake here when it comes to visual arts. The concept of um, having time for this side of our pursuits. Local and international critics at the time were to observe that Auckland now had an art scene on par with movements internationally. Do you think we currently have an art scene on par with international movements? (laughs) Without doubt we do. Um, And case in point um, is how fluidly artists from New Zealand are able to move across different art scenes internationally and similarly artists from elsewhere are able to come back here and um, there's cogency and understanding between these environments. That is not just to do with globalisation but also to do with the qualities of art education in this in this country historically and we don't want to put any risk um, to that. The show presents a view of what took place in Auckland in the 1970s, inviting audience to, to reflect on the avant-garde of a previous generation. What does our current avant-garde look like? Today's concept of avant-garde, I think, is probably a little bit meaningless, and I think that's why it's so specifically I've used that word in relation to this period in time. And even then, I don't know whether the artists at the time, or I can almost say with certainty, they wouldn't have used those words. Um, It's in reflection that we can see that changes occurred Changes that meant that uh, alterations in the what, what art was were, were happening from the ground up. Today, I think we see our present in a kind of continuum with what has gone and subtle changes. It's a little harder to see a holistic change occurring. And what we're really seeing in the 1970s, I think, is a change between the embedding of tradition in the period prior, in other words, even the traditional definitions of painting, sculpture, and even photography was a very, very new art form, not even taught until that period. And I think it would be hard 
to argue today that what you're seeing are new art forms as such, but people in a continuum from this time incorporating within the field of their of their practice um, new materials, new concepts, and so on. Albeit, of course, um, traditional practices still existing um, alongside these other practices as well. One of the works in the show consists of a wall spray painted with the text, the rich must get richer so the poor can get poorer. From a technical standpoint, someone had to spray paint that on the wall, which would have been quite nerve-wracking, I imagine. How did that happen? So there are a number of recreations of, of, a, of the original works from this period which were never meant to survive. They were very much intended to be temporary actions. So we've re-engaged both the artists in helping give us instructions or stipulating the criteria for redeveloping the work. And in that case, that was a work that was originally done at the Auckland Art Gallery. So we used photographic documents and a projection on the wall. And then another artist, actually, who works here in our tech team, um, did a spray paint in relation to the, if you like, the template and redid it. Really good job. Quite beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Glad you liked it. That was Natasha Conland, Curator of Contemporary Art for the Auckland Art Gallery, speaking with Amy Ralfini about the exhibition Groundswell, Avant-Garde Auckland, 1971-1979. The exhibition is on until the end of March, located at the corner of Kitchener and Wellesley Streets. You can find out more information at aucklandartgallery.com. That was an Art podcast creative content from Artec.com.